My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential, where we get to have amazing conversations with amazing human beings. Uh, today, we were joined by Julian Treasure, coming to us from Orkney Island off the coast of Scotland. Julian is a top-rated international speaker on sound and communication skills. You might have been exposed to him the same way that I was initially through one of his TED Talks. He's given five TED Talks. Uh, they've been viewed over 100 million times. In fact, just one of them, the one that I first saw, which was called How to Speak So That People Want to Listen, I think that one by itself has now been listened or, or viewed uh, over 100 million times. But uh, what I found from listening to him is that this is stuff that anybody can apply to deepen relationships. Through the way we talk, we can deepen the other person's experience of being heard, listened to, or even felt. Um, that there's, you know, talking and listening are two sides really of the same coin in the way that we present ourselves. And, and I found that what he teaches is, is highly relevant for everyone. It's not just a business strategy. It's not just a, a corporate leadership strategy. Um, so on that note, I invite you to listen to my conversation with Julian Treasure. All right, Julian, welcome to Unlock Your Potential. So glad to have you. Well, it's lovely to be here, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so uh, for the audience's benefit, you said that you are off the northeast coast of Scotland. Is that right? Yes. Uh, it's an archipelago of islands called Orkney, O-R-K-N-E-Y. Wonderful place to live. And that's what you see behind me. So uh, as I mentioned to you, oh, look at that. Yeah, behind you, you've got a, what do they call those, runes or some sort of bizarre uh, Well, rocks. many years, I suppose. It's a stone circle called Ring of Brodgar which is 5,000 years old. That's so crazy. Yeah, so I, I, as I mentioned to you, we had a, a, a fellow Scot or someone living in Scotland. I don't know if you're actually natively Scottish or just uh, relocated, but anyway, we had someone else yeah. there uh, last week on the show, Dr. McGilchrist. And uh, it, I'm trying to remember why, why I brought that up other than just geographic coincidence. <laughs> Oh, now I'm spacing it, but it was, oh no, I know why it's because I was telling him that I feel, I feel this like familiarity with that part of the world because, um, do you have, do you have any Apple devices? Do you have like an Apple TV or, uh, Apple screensavers? Many, 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 many. Yes. So you know how they have the, the really good, like it's either satellite footage or drone footage that they use for their screensavers. Yeah. So a, a number of their screensaver images are off the coast of Scotland. They have the Isle of Skye. And so I like I've, I see these majestic sweeping images and I feel like I've, I kind of know where you live, which is a ridiculous thing to say since I don't know it at all. But anyway, for whatever that's place. It is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it looks amazing. Um, actually, let's start there. How'd you end up there? Is that where you're from? No, I'm originally from London, uh, but I've been coming up here since I was 16. My mother bought a house up here a long, long time ago. Like many people, she came here on a cruise ship because Orkney is amazingly Europe's number one cruise ship destination. Huh. And she loved it and bought a house. Uh, that's what a lot of people do. There's a lot of English people who've moved up here to get away from the rat race and to live somewhere indescribably beautiful. So we do have a few mod cons. You know, we have supermarkets and uh, electricity and things like that. So it's uh, it's not quite as remote as some places I could think of. Huh, how cool. Well, it's it's on my list of, of places to visit. Um, so so let's uh, I guess let's 
go backwards then in time. You're there now. Um, I was reading on your biography. So it sounds like we both share a common origins uh, in the music business. You were a musician at one point, and that's how you got into sound and um, I guess, what would you be called? A sonophile or an audiophile? What's the term for your proclivity? Well, I think I'm a sound evangelist really now mm. um, because that's what I do a lot of the time is speak about the importance of sound and especially the, the importance of listening. Um, but you're right. Yes, it started with music for me performing. And, you know, music's important. If you play in a band or in an orchestra, you have to develop a way of listening which is different from the kind of inattentive listening that most people go around in life with. You've got to listen to all the other instruments all the time. So it's a sort of multi-track, very attentive listening. Because if you're not doing that, you're not a very good player. You're not mm -hmm. listening to the rest of the group. So, uh, yeah, I developed that and I cared about music deeply from a very early age. You know, I go back to the days of vinyl before the, the the recent vinyl kind of renaissance and um you know i used to sit in a darkened room with an album cover on my knees and a pair of headphones on reading the back avidly and listening to everything and so music's always been a huge huge part of my life and my existence my enjoyment of the world and uh, so listening developed from there i started to play the drums i played in bands i was a professional musician for a while i've played festivals and uh, lots of gigs and so forth um and in, incidentally damaged my hearing in the process mm -hmm. i've got no hearing above about 12k which is typical for a drummer because you're whacking cymbals quite close to your ears for years and years and it doesn't do them any good um so uh, yeah that was that was definitely the start of it and then a long career in marketing where I, you know i was doing that by day doing brands uh, understanding brand communication and dealing with uh, marketing directors and producing customer magazines you know beautiful magazines for their brand and then in the evenings i was playing gigs and hmm. thinking along the way i was thinking the world doesn't sound that great you know there's a lot of bad stuff out there and why is this so when i sold the magazine business it it was time to bring the two halves of me together really the marketing bit and the listening and and sensitive to sound bit and uh, so i formed a company called the sound agency which was all about the the question how does your brand sound mm -hmm. so can you can you double click on that for us uh that that's sort of a one of those questions that takes people a second to process, right? How does your brand sound? That's not, I don't think that's what most people think of. People think of visual iconography and, and more things, you know, that are more co consistent with branding in people's minds. So can you, like I said, double click on that and talk a little more about what does that even mean? How a brand sounds? Well, you know, if you go and see a marketing director of a big brand, you say, do you have a brand book? And they say, yeah, of course we have mm -hmm. a brand book. You know, it's that thick. And so it's all about, logos and colors and typefaces and how to use it and how not to use it and so forth and so i would say okay how many pages are about sound none and you just think well, wait a second we experience the world in five senses not one we experience brands in five senses not one so then i would go on to explain the power of sound which was my first TED talk, the way sound affects our bodies, 
you know, heart rate, breathing, hormone secretions, brain waves, our emotions, our feelings. You only have to think of music to get that one. Mm -hmm. uh, our thinking, our cognition, how well we can process and how productive we are. Just think of trying to work in a noisy open plan office and our behavior, what we buy, how much we uh, you know, what we do, how long we stay in certain places like shops or other places. There's a huge amount of power in the sound around us. So then the marketing director will go, hmm, that's interesting. Well, we've got nobody in charge of sound. We've never thought about it. Maybe we should do some sound next year. At which point I have to point out, unfortunately, you're already making a lot of sound. You have been for years and years. It's just not planned, not designed, not intentional in any way, and probably working in the opposite direction to all that money you're spending on visuals. So there we go. It's about designing for all of the five senses, really, but certainly for the eyes and the ears. I would say they're the two major ones. And making sure that what you do is congruent, is pointing in the same direction, saying the same thing in the same way. Then you get a thing which has been established by the research to be a multiplier effect. It's called super additivity. And it means that one plus one is much more than two if you do it right. So you're saying that when some when what somebody is perceiving through one sense is congruent or resonant, maybe is a word with what they're perceiving from another sense, it has it's kind of like a, a geometric reinforcement effect, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, it's a multiplier effect, definitely. And it works the other way, unfortunately, as well. So if you are a supermarket and you spend lots of money on, you understand customer flows and aisle, you know, planning and um, you're rotating stock and you've got signage and you've got branding and so forth. And then you've got clashing, squeaking trolleys bumping into things. You've got air conditioning going, you've got chiller cabinets making the same noise. It sounds a little bit like an industrial premises. People won't stay in there longer than they absolutely have to. I mean, do we mm. love going to the supermarket? No. And that's mainly because of what's happening to our ears. Not so much the smell, not so much the sights that we see. It's the intense and very unpleasant sound that we have to survive. And of course, when you get to the tills, beep, 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 mm -hmm. or up and down a row of 20 tills. And no wonder that staff turnover on those tills is absolutely astronomical because that's a very punishing auditory environment to be in for eight hours a day. Huh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think about the self-checkout machines and I have a, a, a deep, like, really, really negative relationship with those self-checkout machines. Um, I, I literally like get enraged because they have that thing where you scan it and then there's a window of time for you to set the item down. But if you set it down too hard or you wait too long, then the weight, the scale doesn't perceive things. Or sometimes I actually like to take a bite out. Like I'll, I'll buy like a bag of something, you know, rice cakes and I'll eat one while I'm going around the store. And then when oh, I set yeah. it on the scale, it's the wrong weight. And it thinks, it thinks I'm trying to shoplift. Area. Yeah. And it makes that noise. It goes. <laughs> and I just, I'm like, and that, that noise is a provocation. Mm. It makes me angry. Why can't they make it a more gentle noise? It's like, um, like it could be, it could be like, sir, I, you, you know, it's the wrong weight or I don't know something, something more, more pleasant. Oh, yeah. uh, anyway. Absolutely. So. 
whatever. Uh, so, so are you primarily helping companies that in, that have environments, you know, like retail spaces that consumers come into, or does a lot of this also carry over into like media production and the little, cause like little transitional sounds. And I remember Gary V came out a few years ago with his audio. I think he called it his audio stamp where at the beginning of every Gary V video, there was like a little graphic that had a, it had a particular sound that he had designed for it. Do you work on the, on the media and production side too, or just environmental spaces? Yeah, at the core, you want to have your guidelines covering every aspect of sound that's important for your brand. And typically, the DNA of the thing is what you were just describing, commonly known as a sonic logo. So it's very, very much like your visual logo, except it's a short sound. So mm -hmm. you think of McDonald's or you think of Intel, you know, da, 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 da. That yeah, kind of yeah. thing is very powerful. Um, so, yes, we make those. But uh, the speciality of the sound agency really, as you say, is sound in physical spaces, shopping malls, stores, showrooms, offices. I mean, all sorts of spaces which are important and branded where sound has a huge effect on what people do and how they feel. And generally, what you get is mindless pop music being purveyed, which incidentally, actually, if it's fast paced, speeds people up and they leave a space sooner mm. than they otherwise would. So there's a lot of inappropriate just noise or badly designed sound out there. And uh, we're doing our best to get that put right. So. So if somebody's listening to this, they might be thinking, well, that's all great. If, you know, if I own a chain of supermarkets or, you know, I lease a chain of stores or whatnot, but most people, you know, I think the, the, the way I certainly came across you was actually dealing with the sound that everybody's responsible for to some degree, which is the sound of their own voice. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm one of, I don't know, tens, if not hundreds of millions of people that, that were introduced <laughs> to you through your, your Ted talk about how to speak so that people listen, um, which I actually can share. I've heard, I've listened to multiple times and, and I actually, I was like, not only did I listen to that, I think I took notes on it and I pulled it up and it was literally two months ago to the day was the most recent time I listened to it. And I have a whole page of notes that I took from wow. it. The seven deadly sins of talking. I'm looking at it right now, the four cornerstones of powerful and positive speech Four elements of using your voice like an instrument. I, and, and it was, um, you know, I'm a former musician myself too, and a, and a singer. So I, uh, I was really, really just obviously taken by it. That's why I, I re-listened to it and took a bunch of notes. But um, how did you, how did you start parlaying what you were doing, you know, in terms of sound engineering for companies and actually get into the actual use of the human voice? When, when did that change happen? I had a little epiphany, really, when I realized that brands are groups of people, really. The companies are groups of people. And the reason they're not very good at listening or at making designed sound or intentional sound is because the people in the organizations are not doing that. The people are not listening. And listening is, you know, a tragically underestimated skill. Most people think it's a capability. It's not. We don't teach it in schools at all. I mean, I'm not aware of any schools that do. There may be one or two, but it's really rare. And yet it's a crucial life skill. You know, if you want to be a great salesperson, any, any top salesperson will tell you the most important part of the sales conversation is not the speaking, it's the listening, where you understand what the needs of the other person are. You, you, you're really getting them and you're able then to sell in an effective way as opposed to you know being bombastic or irrelevant. So listening 
is crucial at home. I mean, what's the biggest complaint in relationships? He or she never listens to me. Uh, it's crucial in business relationships where it's actually one of the skills that people recruit on now. But strangely, when they've recruited their good listeners, there's no appraisal on it. You know, the 360 degree doesn't say, is this person right. a good listener? It's, it's just forgotten about. Uh, people don't train on it. They don't appraise on it. They don't reward for it. So it's taken for granted. The moment we get into an organization, listening is just like, oh, yeah, we all do that. Well, we don't. Many people don't understand it's a skill that you can master, develop, become really good at. And there are so many benefits to doing that. So that was the realization. And that's when I started the third TED Talk actually was about um, the ways to improve conscious listening skills. Uh, and then the fourth one was a plea to architects to start listening to the spaces they're designing instead of designing everything just for how it looks. Mm -hmm. Because we have schools and hospitals and offices which are just not fit for purpose. They look great. They sound terrible. And it's impossible to get well, to learn, to work in those spaces. And then, as you say, the fifth TED Talk, that was the one about speaking, which, you know, looking back on it, <laughs> I was quite brave doing that. I mean, if you're going to stand on a TED stage and talk about talking, you better talk quite well. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's sort of sticking your head above the parapet big time. Um, but it worked really well. I mean, I think it did, did a good job on that. And they didn't release so it. For what, isn't it the number you... six TED Talk of all time now, I think? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. it is. I think it's, it's had like 100 million views if you add them all up. Chris Anderson says you have to double whatever is on ted.com right. because there's YouTube and then there are embedded mm -hmm. it's embedded in lots and lots of websites and podcast and blogs and so forth. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing. It went ballistic, but it's actually quite interesting, Jeff, if you look at the numbers, the Ted talk on speaking that I did has been seen by five times as many people as the Ted talk on listening. And that's interesting to me. Yeah, that seems that seems telling. <laughs> yeah, because listening to me is the it's the core skill. You know, it's the foundational skill. I really think it's difficult to be a great speaker if you're not a good listener. And so many people aren't these days. I I think if you look around in the world, in politics, uh, in international relations, uh, never have we needed listening more than we do now in the world. Well, it's 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 ironic. Um, one, one of my favorite quotes is, that I, I go back to in my head, literally probably once a day, I have reason to reference this thought in my in my mind is by John Gottman, who's a relationship expert, who says that the number one way to have influence over another person is for them to feel that they have influence over you, that it, it engages the natural you know instinct for reciprocity. Right. And, and of course, I use this in my marriage all the time. Right. And, and I, not as like a mercenary tactic, but just as a, as a, hopefully an atmosphere of like, babe, I'm, I'm always open and I'm receptive and I'm willing. And hopefully she reciprocates, which she does. Right. Um, but it occurs to me in, in this context that probably one of the most important things you could do to get people to listen to you is for them to feel like you are listening to them. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and mean, so there's, there's a skill of listening, but then there's probably also the skill of how of having people feel like you're listening, which maybe aren't exactly the same thing. 
they're very similar i think okay and you know people often say oh I, I, nobody i can't get heard you know i feel frustrated i can't make a difference i want to make in the world because people aren't listening to me how do i get them to listen to me and the answer is you listen to them listen yeah. to them ask questions and you can move a conversation you know if you don't feel comfortable in the conversation you can ask questions that move it in the direction towards something you do feel you know that's really interesting have you ever thought about this aspect of it which is something i do know about now let's talk about that you know so if you're if you're actually listening to somebody and engaging with them which means looking at them which is something we are not very good at, you know, tap, tap, tap. I am listening to you. No, you're sending a text. It's not the same thing. So, uh, you know, Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time, which is quite a big challenge. This life that we live is so distracted. You know, I love that book by Nir Isle, Indistractable. Uh, where he's dealing with all this stuff, because there are so many huge organizations who are hell-bent on getting your attention, my attention, everybody's attention. That's the currency they're after. They want us on that screen, looking at that, going, oh, somebody might have tagged me, or, you know, it, you know, maybe I better reply to something, or, you know, all this stuff going on, which is grabbing our attention away from the people we're with. And there's a there's a great talk by um, Sherry Turkle on this called Alone Together, a TED talk in a book she wrote, uh, which is saying really this, that technology, far from bringing us together as a great global village, is actually driving us apart because we're locking ourselves into these conversations with people we barely know who aren't here at the moment and ignoring the people next to us, which is, you know, I wonder how many people sit in bed late at night doing email next to their partner. I mean, we've all done it. Mm -hmm. And so that device, which is kind of glued to our hand, that can be very, very pernicious. And it's a real threat to our ability to listen. And of course, the other thing technology is doing is it's pandering to one of the great human needs, which I think is terribly destructive in our communication. And that's the desire to be right. And we have so much of that going on now. And it's deepened by the internet because we have these silos of people who are, have increasingly extreme entrenched views. And because there's a few hundred of them in that place, they all reinforce it. They were, I right, know, right. I was right, hundreds agree with me. Yeah, but there are millions who don't, but you don't go and talk to them, you know? So we get these kind of silos of, of increasingly frenzied um, and, uh, you know, potentially quite difficult and even violent views which is very unfortunate you know harville hendrix who's a man i have a lot of respect for a relationship counselor and author from america said you can either be right or be in a relationship yeah so my my therapist uh actually references harville hendrix often hendrix and, and gottman and uh, there's a number of them and but he always he's he frames it as he, he'll ask couples directly he's like look what do you want more? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be close? And, you, and it's a binary choice. Um, and, and as you were speaking, I was thinking about how it all, uh, it all kind of connects together because the more right you believe you are, the less you listen and the less other people feel listened to, which means the more they will naturally go seek places where they do feel listened to, which are going to be these, 
insular silos where they feel they feel right. And the, and the reason they feel listened to isn't necessarily even because they're being listened to, but just because they're being agreed with. And so like we're, we're fragmented. So, you, you know, I'm sort of connecting the dots here and agreeing with you that, yeah, at the core of a lot of the fragmentation and polarization of society, probably one could argue it's the breakdown of our listening to each other. And that's, is. that's why we're not close as a society. Because, you know, the, the upshot of conscious listening to me is always understanding. So I may disagree with you thoroughly, Jeff, but I can say, Jeff, I totally disagree, but I can see why you believe that. Now, that is validation, which, again, is an important part of Harville Hendrix's work, where you, you, can, you don't have to agree with somebody. You can listen to them, validate that they believe that, and that's, you know, in their world, that's a sensible thing for them to believe, and agree to disagree. I think Barack Obama said, I will listen to you, especially if we disagree. Hmm. which is quite a brave statement and uh, not many people would go along with that because we don't like to be challenged we don't like our cage to be shaken and uh, to be stirred into maybe reassessing something that we really believe in i would say we listen through a set of filters and i, I put these into the ted talk the third one uh, so things like the language we speak um, which has filters in it the culture we're born into the values, attitudes, and beliefs that we gather along the way from our parents, friends, role models, whoever it might be. And then in any given situation, we might have intentions, expectations, emotions going on. All of these things affect how well we can listen to somebody else. So timing is very important because that set of filters is unique to each individual. My listening is different to yours, Jeff. And that's a really important thing for anybody who wants to communicate to understand, because it's the most common mistake I see being made is assuming everybody listens like I do. They don't. They absolutely don't. And once you get that, you get that you're speaking into a listening, which is unique to that person at that moment. Mm. Then you can start to tailor the way you speak and ask yourself the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? And that's a big part of my work is that sensitivity. So it kind of reminds me of like the love languages concept where you're, yeah. you're trying to understand how they're, how they're going to be best able to receive what it is that you want to give. So mm -hmm. do you have a, like a taxonomy or a framework for styles of listening or, or, you know, easy to reference names that we can apply to these styles and try to remember them in, in the moment? I don't think it's as complicated as that. You know, I, uh, what I train people to do is simply to ask that question over and over and over again in every conversation and get into the habit of asking that question. And it is, in my experience anyway, simply true that if you ask the question over and over again, what's the listening? What's the listening I'm speaking to here? You become more and more sensitive to it. Don't ask me how. I mean, it may be, you know, tiny micro expressions or body language or pheromones. I don't know, whatever it is, or a combination of all sorts of cues, subtle cues. Obviously, there are, there are going to be things which are much clearer. Like if I'm standing on stage talking to an, a, an audience of young people, I have to change my the way I speak and my cultural references. If I'm talking to uh, a group of people who are listening to me and they speak a foreign language and they're having to translate, which I've done many, many times, 
I have to speak more slowly and more clearly because they're doing a really tough job of translating simultaneously in their heads mm -hmm. at the same time as listening to me. So it's a question of being sensitive to the group of people or the person you're speaking to. You know, if you're speaking to somebody who speaks really, really slowly, then if you're speaking like this, you're absolutely at the wrong wavelength, you know, right. you're going to intimidate them. So we do, you know, there's a, there's a degree to which this is natural. Human beings match and mirror other human beings. They tend to make similar gestures. They tend to adopt similar postures and so forth. So a lot of this is automatic. It's just being a person. But you can get really good at it if you ask that question, what's the listening all the time, instead of just blithely assuming that everybody listens like I do and the way I normally speak is going to work in all situations. Not true. So you really, do you coach people to, how would I say that, to, to sort of, I, I guess, work, work on their voice? Because um, I could see how, for, and I'm curious if you get this, people are like, well, it's, it's too distracting. Or if I'm thinking about the way I sound, it creates a, a self-consciousness that makes me unnatural. And, and, and I mean, I'm assuming you get that feedback. So how do you sort of work with people to intentionally change the way they sound to other people? seems like that'd be well, a hard thing to do. It's exactly like working with, a, you know, a top sportsman uh, or woman. Uh, you know, if you're working with somebody who's a great golfer, for example, you practice like mad and you're working on a particular part of the technique. The last thing they want to do when they go out into a tournament is think about that. When you're in a tournament or in a real life situation, you're doing what you do naturally as well as possible. And all that practice that you've done beforehand has given you greater ability, that it's given you more tools, more capabilities, more confidence, whatever it may be. So, yes, I would absolutely suggest people work on their vocal toolbox and you know, all of the elements of the voice that I talk about. And I mean, I'm quite throaty at the moment i've just recovered from a chest infection mm. um but uh, you know you can you can overcome things like that um, with, by breathing by posture and so forth uh, and also by projecting your voice by by resonating the right areas and by thinking about pace and pitch and silence and volume and all of these aspects of the voice that we don't tend to think about at all. Now, I'm not saying think about them while you're in an important conversation. No, practice them in peaceful places, which you can do by, you know, getting a book and reading out loud and recording yourself and listening and practicing extending your range with things like volume. You know, I've had people in seminars in the past when I used to do seminars coming up and going, I am shouting. This is as loud as I can speak. Mm, no, you just haven't explored it yet. Right. You know, this is the human voice is an amazing instrument. It's the instrument we all play. I mean, you're a singer, so you play it really. Uh, but I mean, I'm not a singer. Nevertheless, I do think when you listen to the range of voices, the power of the human voice, what it can achieve in the world. It behooves us all to master it. And I am flabbergasted when I stand on stage, you know, I'll talk to 2000 CEOs about communication skills. And I'll say to them, how many of you have to use your voice in public like you do presentations or you stand on stages, a forest of hands go up. 
Okay. How many of you have had formal vocal training? Three or four. What's that about? It's crazy. Yeah. You know, the human voice is so important to these people. They're representing organizations. They're on the media. They're on stages. And yet they've never thought about training this incredible instrument in them and unleashing its power. Nuts. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you're saying that. We, uh, in the last year, there was somebody in, in my organization who the, the feedback was, uh, there, were, there were two points of feedback, but it, I'd say in general, it was, it was sort of like, yeah, basically they don't, they don't listen that much. They talk a lot more than they listen and, and their presentation style is sort of rambling and a little bit monotonous, but also sort of, there's not a lot of space, right? Uh, no, uh, no pausing. And, you know, that's feedback and that's, that's good for the, for them. But one of the, uh, unreal, well, it was a very related, uh, challenge that we were dealing with, but we didn't connect the dots initially was we were having a lot of trouble with recruitment and really, you know, getting a players on that team. And eventually it clicked. Somebody pointed out, well, that's because they're interviewing with a person that talks a lot more than they listen and they're not. And so they're not having a good interview experience, which is completely scuttling all the other good things that might otherwise attract them to come work on that team. Yeah. And so we found that that feedback not only improved professional performance internally, but it also, I mean, that was a price we didn't even realize we were paying because of how one person communicated <laughs> not terribly effectively. It's so important at every level, whether you're running a team and trying to inspire them and motivate them, or whether you're trying to persuade your boss to go in the direction you believe is the right direction, uh, whatever it is, or recruit people. I mean, my goodness, that's so important. If you do a, an interview with somebody and you sound bored, what are they going to pick up? Mm -hmm. It's a boring place to work. You know, I used to, in my, in my company, I used to love in the middle of an interview saying to people like just go out of my office and talk to anybody and ask them what it's like to work here because i knew what the answer was going to be from all those people it was going to be oh, that's fantastic we love it it's great you know that's right. all you need really if that's the truth and uh, it was in that organization so i think yes you, you you need to inspire people all the time and that's a function of speaking as you say not necessarily speaking a lot, but knowing when to speak, when to listen, what to say, because of course, it's not just how you say it, it's what you say as well. And really being sensitive to the listening you're speaking into caring about it, you know, I mean, I think it's important to to to, to have humility, and to see every person you meet as an opportunity to learn. Now, it may be that you're learning how not to do something often is, but in many cases, you'll be learning how to do things if you are open to that. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate that we go through life quite arrogant a lot of the time, dismissing people, judging people, um, and, and not getting the juice out of every conversation we have. We're only here for a limited time. And I think it's so important to extract everything you can from every conversation, really. Hey there, sorry to interrupt the show, but I just have a quick favor to ask. So we recently broke into the top 100 podcasts 
in the entrepreneurship category. We've been hovering around 75 and we're really trying to push up into like the top 20 and grow the impact of the show. So if you enjoy what we do here and you're a supporter, the biggest thing you could do to help would be to leave us a positive review. Uh, Whatever platform you're listening on, you should be able to leave a quick review. Let the world know what you like about the show. Thank you so much for your time and uh, let's get back to it. Um, How important do you think it is People, you know, in other words, sorry, let me restart start the question over. How much of having a compelling vocal delivery is mechanistic, meaning the, the manipulation of the instrument? And how much of it do you think is like emotional or psychological, meaning the voice is displaying or perhaps even betraying what's really going on with a person in other words, can you master the voice purely as a mechanism or do you have to do some of the deeper work on oneself to get the voice, you know, in a way that really lines up for people? I think it's important to be authentic. I mean, I said those four uh, cornerstones of mm-hmm. powerful speaking and hail. they spell the word hail. Yes. Right. So yeah. honesty, yes. Being clear and straight. Authenticity is really important. Being who you really are. People can generally spot if you're faking it, if you're putting something on. And even if they can't, it's, you know, it's stressful. It's tiring to pretend that you're a high energy, aggressive person when you're actually a very introverted, quiet person. We don't need to do that. You know, Susan Cain, I think, has broken the back of that myth that only loud people are effective and, you know, really underscored the value of introverts in business and how we need to listen more carefully to people and give even quiet people the chance to contribute the wonderful things they can. So pretending, no, generating yourself, absolutely switching yourself on 100%, that's really powerful. Not being disengaged or cautious or shy or frightened. And there are ways to overcome all of those things which are holding you back. And so knowing how to do it with a voice, I think is very powerful to me all it comes down to is consciousness because this is all listening speaking communication to me it's all a conversation about consciousness awareness presence actually being here at this moment being with the other person at this moment fully present and if you're doing that and you've practiced the mechanics of the voice so that you are in control of it and you have mastered it, then you give yourself a great chance of putting yourself across in the right way to the other person fully as you, authentic and really there, but powerful. What do you, um, <clears throat> I, I guess, how, how much or, or how do you approach situations where people, I think, a lot of people hear this type of conversation and, and instinctively will go to helping unlock or unleash the voice, right? You know, get louder or have it project better or have it carry more emotion or having it land better. But what about the inverse of that where you have people that actually need to be reined in? I mean, like you talked about, there's people that, that are loud and they steamroll everyone around them. And, and ha- is there a different... <clears throat> I mean, I guess, how do you approach that? And how often do you do, do those people have enough self-awareness to maybe allow you to approach them? Well, again, it's about consciousness, isn't it? And if you're, if you're conscious of the listening you're speaking into, you're conscious that you're speaking to a quiet and slow person and you need to 
calm yourself down and deliver in a way that's going to get the ball over the net to them at that moment. That's what it's all about. And there's, a, there's such a joy to me in connecting with somebody by listening carefully to them and asking yourself, what's the listening that I'm speaking into? It comes naturally, you know, and unfortunately, you know, that person who perhaps speaks all the time and um, interrupts other people and dismisses what they're saying and doesn't respect them, that's not conscious. That's somebody who's wrapped up in perhaps their ego and, you know, hasn't challenged what's going on inside of them the need to prove that they're right the need to be better the need to be bigger the need to be uh, you know authoritative uh, respected whatever it is whatever need is driving that so this is a huge conversation really jeff it's not just about how we speak and listen it's about how we are as human beings how we relate to other human beings and to me as i say it always comes down to the one thing which is being conscious it's one of the reasons i love speaking on stages for example because that's the time when i'm probably the most conscious you know there's two thousand people staring at you every gesture every facial expression every word that you say and every every tone of your voice need to be conscious if you're doing something that's irritating you know a tick like walking round and round on the spot or leaning from one side to the other and leaning to the other side and so forth. These things are so obvious to the people watching. So those unconscious things, those are things that we can train out, you know, and, and the biggest tip I ever give to anybody who speaks in public is for goodness sake, video yourself. It's so easy to do now. Just get a, a tripod that you can stick your phone on, turn the video on and deliver your talk and then watch it back. And you'll be going, Oh my God, Goodness, I never knew I did that. You know, one thing we haven't, uh, you, you sort of touched on, but it's the L in hail is love. Mm. And I have in my notes, uh, wishing well for people. And, you, and, and I wrote this down, I assume you said it, this tempers honesty and neutralizes judgment. Yeah. Um, go, go, yeah, go ahead, please. Yes, I mean, I, I really believe that you can't, love and judge simultaneously i think it's very difficult to hold those two you things. you said it's that in the ted talk right yeah, yeah yeah and that's my experience in life if you're judging somebody you're suspending your love for them at that moment and uh, again that often comes down to the need to be right or the need to be justified in some way um or they need to look good perhaps i don't know it can be any of those things loving in that sense, not romantic love, but what Christians would call agape or uh, Buddhists would call loving kindness. I mean, there's lots and lots of expressions of this in religions all over the world. It comes down to wishing somebody well. And, you know, I had a, a friend many, many years ago who gave me a wonderful exercise on this that I'll pass on now. And that is to formulate in your mind and just say over and over again, the words bless you doesn't have to be religious. It can be if you're religious, but it can just be a well-wishing thing. And instead of walking around a city and thinking dark and uh, horrible thoughts about the people who bump into you or step into your way or, uh, you know, cause you some sort of obstruction in what you want, uh, then you can be thinking, bless you. And if you do that over and over again, it is extraordinary what happens 
you start feeling that you're walking several inches above the ground. Everything becomes light. You meet somebody's gaze. And what happens? You smile at each other because you weren't thinking a horrible thing about them. So you're not shiftily trying to avoid people seeing what's going on inside your head. It's a very lovely exercise. It's very cleansing. It's very simple to do. And it really gives you a lightness of being, which is enormously enjoyable. So I recommend that to anybody as opposed to, you know, the constant editor critic that we have mm -hmm. in our head judging other people. Uh, so loving, I think, is very important. And of course, as I said in the TED Talk, it, it is needed to temper honesty. You know, we don't need to say, oh, you look terrible today to somebody. It's not really necessary. You know, it might be, it might be helpful. But if you're loving, then perhaps you just withhold that kind of thing. We don't have to be brutally honest the whole time. That's not a part of being clear and straight in, in the sense of honesty that I'm using it. Uh, so, and the only other one we didn't cover actually, Jeff, was the I, wasn't it? Integrity, mm -hmm. which is being your word. If you say it, you do it. You're somebody people can rely on to carry on through and deliver what you promise. And that's very important. If you don't do that, your words evaporate. They, they are not taken seriously. Yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody told me integrity is doing what you say you're going to do, uh, it's also how you act when people aren't looking um, and whether or not you're the same when people are watching or aren't, that's a piece of integrity, but also this element of like, if you can't keep a commitment to someone, you proactively address it and you renegotiate the commitment beforehand. You never let it pass. Yeah. Um, or if you make a mistake, you apologize and you put something in place to make sure that doesn't recur as opposed to, you know, one of the seven deadly sins I talked about, which is blame throwing excuses. It wasn't my fault. If it's never your fault, you don't learn anything at all, really. So, so one should actually seek for it to be their fault because then they open themselves up to the lesson. Some lessons are painful or, or to learn. At least embrace it if it is. Maybe you don't, you don't seek it, but you're open to it. Um, yeah. So final question, uh, and I know we're, we're about out of time. I'm, I'm curious um, if, if you could, you know, I guess however loving or brutally honest you wish to be, but if you could sort of appraise me based on your analysis, your, your you know, observation here of, of what is the listening that you've been speaking into? I, I think it'd be really valuable to hear the language you use to describe another person's listening. Well, I think your listening has been incredibly attentive, Jeff, to be honest. I, you're clearly uh, on the same page as me, so I feel very comfortable that we're in a conversation uh, where we're learning things and um, we are reflecting different facets of the diamond uh, as we go around it. But uh, I didn't feel at any stage there was any kind of reluctance or um, any kind of um, resistance I'm very sensitive to those things in audiences. You know, if you're in, an, in a conversation with an audience, you can see the pockets of resistance or reluctance or whatever it may be. Um, and it's very important to address those if it's possible to do so. Um, you know, I would always do that. So I have felt um, a very, what Italians would call simpatico, uh, listening from you, uh, an attentive listening and also an articulate listening. I mean, you've been able all the way through to articulate and to, to ask some very intelligent questions. So, I mean, I've enjoyed this conversation enormously. It has not been a difficult conversation. If, you know, you had been 
a highly aggressive, difficult interviewer, then there are ways of getting around that, you know, going into the, going onto that person's island and understanding what is their problem with what you're saying. What is it they're trying to establish? Um, but I haven't needed to do that because I think we're on the same island in the first place, <laughs> to be honest. So uh, we're, uh, we're together on Orkney, Orkney Island, right? Yeah, um, that would be nice. Anytime you come up here, let me know. I would love that. So I actually have three different open invitations to visit Scotland from three different people. So I'm, I'm I, the universe is giving me a strong signal. I'm curious. I know I said the last question was last question. This is actually my last question. Any thoughts or tips around how to apply your teachings in a Zoomified world where so much talking and listening now is happening, you know, like we're doing right now. Um, and what, you know, I've, I've been sort of proactively applying what we're talking about. It's like you talked about giving a talk about talking. I feel like I'm trying to listen about listening, um, having that same sort of meta experience, but, but how do you, when it comes to applying it in a zoom environment, do you have any tips or thoughts for people? Yes, I mean, there are a lot and I do uh, webinars and, and so forth on virtual communication because this is not going away, right? This is always going to be here now. We've realized how much time, money and carbon we save by not having to go and see people face to face. Obviously, we will still do that where it's crucial, but this is going to be here forever. And it, it's necessary to become a master of this now as well. Now, I would say... Uh, the biggest mistake I see many, many people making is they'll put a laptop, laptop on a desk in front of them, tilt the screen back and sit with a window behind them, producing the classic terrible shot that you get in Zoom calls or whatever you know, other networks are available. Um, whatever it is with backlit, so they're mm. a silhouette and the shot is basically up their nose, which is not very nice to have somebody looming over the top of you like that. So camera at eye level, or in your case, slightly above eye level is cool. Um, then, you know, if you want to be, um, you know, slightly less dominant as you are being, uh, then the camera above eye level shooting slightly down on you uh, gives you a nice, you know, non-threatening look. I've got the camera absolutely at, at my eye level, just above my, uh, my Mac. Um, have a nice light, have a green screen if you want behind you so that you can put what you want across and look professional and a decent microphone when i've got a nice little road microphone just above me here headphones so i don't have the sound coming out of the loudspeakers and creating feedback loops a decently acoustic room i'm in uh, so that you you know you don't want to do this kind of thing in a bathroom or a kitchen where it's very echoey noise control behind you as you were just doing with a leaf blower so all these things matter in delivering a signal that looks professional and clean and sounds really, really good. So many people don't do those things. It is absolutely amazing to me. In the most important conversations, you know, pitches for millions of dollars of investment or sales pitches for millions of dollars worth of business, and they've got that backlit mm -hmm. shooting up the nose thing going on. Not good. Um, so I think you have to be even more attentive in this medium because you're missing so many cues, little physical cues, little auditory cues. A lot has gone here and we have to be paying even more attention than we would in a face-to-face -face conversation. 
Yeah, I've noticed you've maintained what I would call, and maybe I'm just more cognizant of it because of the, the subject matter here, but I've noticed you've maintained extraordinarily what feels almost like disciplined eye contact. Um, you, you have not, I don't think you've looked away one time. I've been cognizant of it, like I said, because, because of what we're talking about. And I've noticed a few times I've checked the time in respect to your time and a few other things, but like you are, you are on it with the eye contact. I, I'll, I'll give you credit there. Um, you mentioned that you do webinars about this and other things. Obviously you have uh, services for corporations. I know that you have, I think you have uh, courses. Tell the world what you offer and how to come find you. Well, if it's about uh, brand or organizational sound, then the website is thesoundagency.com. If it's about individual communication skills, then that's my website, which is juliantreasure.com. And yes, I, I go around the world delivering keynotes and uh, uh, workshops and things like that for big organizations who are interested in improving the communication skills in their often senior management, if not just everybody. Um, and uh, for those who don't want to go to an event or uh, aren't, in, aren't involved in that, then I have a course which you can access through my website. Um, I have a book called How to Be Heard, which is available from all the usual places. And uh, actually, I'm very excited to be working on a new book at the moment, Jeff, which is um, you know, it's, it, <laughs> manuscript is due in March. It's major, major, but uh, I am cracking through it. It's a book all about the wonders of sound. And it's kind of my life's work, really. So that will be out in spring 24. And uh, that's coming from Quirkus Books. And it's really exciting. It's called Everything is Sound. And I'm so excited to be doing that. So, yeah, communication skills, juliantreasure.com, and uh, branding and uh, corporate sound, thesoundagency.com. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.